0: of how it could happen in seven days of intrigue, of blackmail, of terror, an eternity
1: of suspense. This is the astounding story of a military plot to overthrow the government of the United States, which, if successful, would change the fate of every American.
0: Hello, sir. Hello. Welcome to the Read This Watch That podcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Dale. So, Dale, today I think we're doing a movie, 7 Days in May? Yes. Conspiracy is abroad in the land. That it is <laughs> and led by Burt
1: Lancaster of all people.
0: No, not not no, 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 not not Moonlight Graham. <laughs> no, couldn't be. Couldn't, couldn't be. be. We'll, um do you, you, obviously you recently watched this. Uh, do you have a, any history with this movie? You, you've seen it before. Yes,
1: I've seen it before a couple of times. Um, but I saw it first when I was very young. I was, oh boy, I don't know, 13 or 14 or something like that. And I stumbled across it. And I remember it because it was one of the first um black and white movies that I saw that I thought was really, really good. And, um, you know, something to notice and, and you know, um, respect. Because probably like you as a kid, you know, you'd, you'd watch old B movies on, you know, TV on, you know, Channel 5 or Channel 11 in New York. And you'd get these, you know, old B movies that um, would show up from time to time. And, and most of them were, you know, not particularly good. But this was just a really, really solid movie. And it just kind of made me sit up and say, oh, wow, there there are things that are not, you know, that other people don't know about because I stumbled across it. Right. Nobody brought it to my attention. And I was kind of thinking to myself, why there's there's stuff out there that maybe people don't know about that's that is really good and that this you know this is clearly for at least in my experience was one of them so it really stuck in my mind that way um i thought it was really interesting political you know smart political drama you know there wasn't you know there's not a ton of action in it um and i was just really impressed with it so it stuck in my mind and i've
0: watched it a few times since over the years did you have any, when you first watched it, did you have any idea you were watching a whole bunch of people who won Academy Awards and were no. well-known actors? <laughs> did you have any idea that, you know, the guy who, the, the the mastermind behind The Twilight Zone, Rod Serling, wrote the screenplay, anything like that? No, no. I mean, I knew who Burt Lancaster was, I knew
1: who Kirk Douglas was, but beside that you know martin balsam i probably had seen in things before um but it didn't i'm sure it didn't register with me um eva gardner didn't really register with me frederick march didn't register with me at all um um and i probably didn't even notice you know that <laughs> rod Serling uh had written it and who directed it it was uh Frankenheimer. It was Frankenheimer. Yeah. And I probably didn't notice that either. So when I when I first saw it, I had no, you know, no clue. And and of course, it took years and years and years for me to kind of you know put all of those things together, as well as um, understand where the story comes, because this, of course, came from a novel written by two journalists in the 50s that was going to be made into a movie. And what I learned subsequent is that it was read by. John F. Kennedy, and he um, thought it was really good, and the idea of making the movie was evidently met with approval from the Kennedy
0: White House. The uh, Yeah, not to hate to correct you, but the novel was actually 1962. Oh, was it? Yeah, so it was It was that close in time, because wow. Seven Days of May is a 1964 movie directed by John Frankenheimer. It stars... Burt Lancaster. I mean, quite the lineup here. Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, Frederick March, Ava Gardner, Edmund O'Brien, George McCready, Andrew Duggan, and of course, Martin Baltam and John Houseman. Oh, that's um, right, John
1: Houseman. Yeah.
0: Scott. yeah. Yes, and it is about a attempted military coup against the president played by um, Frederick March. He plays president jordan lyman jordan lyman has i think now correct me if i'm wrong the setup is this and i maybe you can maybe you caught this i didn't i i believe the the treaty to with the soviet union to disarm our nuclear arsenal has been ratified by the senate and signed is that ever is, is that ever explicitly stated uh, that 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 it's not under consideration by the senate that it's a it's already a done deal i don't believe
1: i know the answer to that question i because it is are uh, or, or potentially a a an interesting
0: plot point <laughs> well i believe um, it in the novel that has happened because, uh, for, the, because for the obvious reasons the movie it, it opens with with clashing protesters outside the white house but the real the real opening of the movie is you learn that Frederick marsh has a twenty nine percent approval rating and it's linked to it's linked to this treaty that is going to have the United States and the Soviet Union dis, you know, disarm their, their nuclear arsenal. And it has made his numbers tank. And right. so obviously, if the treaty wasn't already ratified by the Senate, there's just no way in hell it was going to be ratified with those numbers. Because like politicians of today, um, you know, they were cognizant of poll numbers back then, too. Right. So I, I believe the treaty's supposed to have, be a done deal. And that's what we have, uh, we have, that's going on politically. And then you have this figure, James Matoum Scott, played by Burt Lancaster. He is a Air Force general who's also, also the chairman of the, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yes, he, and, he, and I suspect
1: they were thinking a little bit about Curtis LeMay when they were
0: came up with I think the authors specifically stated it was based on Walker. Oh, was it based on Okay. But maybe the throwing in the Air Force part was a tip of the hat. To <laughs> <life>. <laughs> we love you, Kirk. <laughs> yeah, let's not forget about you. Kirk Douglas is the director of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Jigs Casey. He's, he's a colonel in the Marine Corps. I don't know what that position is. It strikes me he's kind of like the... Chief of Staff for the Joint Chiefs of Staff I don't think he works For Burt Lancaster per se But since Burt Lancaster is the chairman One would think that the Chief of Staff of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Would work closely with the chairman Of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Uh, He's a colonel in the Marine Corps Um, And Over the course of A day or two He gets wind of A Preakness um, betting pool, right? These right, these military figures from across the globe—some in the army, some in the navy, some in uh, the air force—you know, get your bets. The Preakness is this Sunday. You know, what's your bet? Right. And he's just kind of like shrugs. Are you in? Yeah. Are you in? Yeah. Yes. And
1: and, and he he, he finds out about it because a, a communications officer tells him about it, even though it's been coded
0: top secret or it's something top like secret that. yeah yeah and it's it's kind of like this little oh look at the, the generals are are gambling right. The, right the brass is gambling he doesn't yes. think anything of it and um scott's top i don't even know what his position is but it seems like his right hand man is the guy who played oscar goldman In The Six Million Dollar Man? Yeah, Richard Anderson. Yeah, Richard Richard Anderson. Anderson. A great great
1: character actor um, who was around for a long time. I I don't know his career completely, but you see him pop up particularly in the 70s, maybe even early 80s uh, television quite a bit.
0: Yeah, He learns that Jiggs Casey, Kirk Douglas, has learned about the the Preakness pool and overreacts. (laughs) Right. If you want to keep this secret, he kind of overreacts. (laughs) But the overall, I don't want to go through, like, scene by scene. I don't think yeah. that's necessary. But the overall no. idea is that on Sunday, Preakness Day, there's going to be a military coup. And it's going to, it's going to be launched by almost, well, almost exclusively. It looks like the military's in on it. But there is at least one senator who's also in on it. Yes. Senator Prentice from California. Now, this... Oh, as an aside, though, I believe this movie's in the in the novel, and they don't say it specifically in the movie, but it's supposed to be in the near future, because um, it's supposed to be set in 1970 or somewhere around it, there. It yeah, and and it's funny because Prentiss's the the registration on Prentiss's license plates is 1970. So oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, I didn't know. that. There's a that. couple hints of 1970, but what they plan to do is. Ho- a military coup, which is going to be done in conjunction with a major military exercise. Right. And a group, uh, EconCom, or <laughs> EconCom,
1: yeah.
0: EconCom has been formed. They have a secret base outside of El Paso. Those troops are going to be flown into several major cities. Martial law is going to be declared. Take over the communication, take over the media communications. Right. All. Oh, yes, because it's it's that's a good point. There's like six or seven major cities and a a town in Utah that happens to be kind of the major, pretty much the nationwide switchboard. Right. For communications. And it's, you know, in, in good traditional coup fashion. It would be you know, probably early morning on a Sunday when people are home reading the newspaper, sees the radio stations and sees the communication stations. And so this is this is going on. Um and the reason for the coup is that these military officers and at least one United States Senator feel that this this treaty, the Russians aren't gonna keep keep their word and this treaty is going to be the end of the, of the United States. So for to preserve the United States they're essentially willing to uh, conduct a, a coup and shred the Constitution to protect the Constitution. Right. Yeah. right. right. Um, and Lancaster you know James Mattoon Scott is an interesting character. He's conducting the Joint Chiefs of Staff business. And Kirk Douglas is... not sus- Suspicious isn't the right word. He's just interested. Kind of, something doesn't feel right with the, this Preakness betting pool. And um, he goes to a cocktail party.
1: Well, there. so there. Um,
0: if, if I can just interject one. Yeah. Any, just any, just any let me
1: set up kind of to the. So what he, he hears about this, he's also told by Scott that um, this military planned military exercise is going to be media free. And that he's 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 convinced the president to observe alone without anybody else. Um, around no one from the hill and no one from right no one from congress is even supposed to know about the exercise so it's the secret exercise that's going on and he's also heard this little bit of um rumor about the the betting which he doesn't really pay much mind to except that uh scott's aide has overreacted in 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 hearing that uh Chicks knows about it Right. So he goes. And, so he goes to this this cocktail party, um, and I'm sorry, I've interrupted your carrying on the plot.
0: Oh no, no, no! You go. I mean, just the, at the cocktail party, he learns that that a, a senator does know about it. Um, right, senator. Um, what did I say? His name, Prentice. 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 <laughs> California, California <laughs> Senator Prentice, played by by uh, awesome B movie movie star Wit Thistle who was great. in, like, every science fiction movie in the 1950s. Um, there's a great – and they're there, Ava Gardner's there. Ava Gardner is about 42 years old at this point, and, you know, she's still throwing 100 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Looks great, has a great voice. She is, she is Scott's former mistress, but she knows, she knows the Kirk Douglas character, so they have a little bit of a back and forth. But the interesting, the real interesting part of the evening is Douglas learns that Princess knows about the exercise and says something to him along the lines of, you know, stay sharp for Sunday or, or, or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a great exchange, though, because Martin Balsam is also, also at this cocktail party. And this is Monday night before the attempted coup. Martin Balsam is Paul Girard. They never say what he is, but he's obviously the it's president's like chief of staff chief or of staff. Top something aide. like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's he's the top aide. They're having a back and forth. Gerard and and um and are having a back and forth about the merits of the treaty. Kirk Douglas is there. Prentice asks Kirk Douglas. I think, you know, he's Prentice is one of these guys. He thinks he knows Kirk Douglas's mind, so he's gonna like ask him. A question thinking he knows the answer and get someone on his side. What do you think about the treaty? And Kirk Douglas gives a great the appropriate answer. It's not my place to say. <laughs> you know, right. right. You, you're the Senate, he's the president, we're the military. And there's a great line where where the politician says to Kirk Douglas, you know, it says to the the army colonel or the yeah, the Marine Colonel, those uh, I'm paraphrasing those ribbons on your chest are, are those for vacillating, you know? And, and, and Kirk Douglas says, No, what's it? No, they're for cocktail courage and dinner table heroism. Yeah, I thought you invented.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> and, and and Senator Prentice doesn't even really bat an eye at the insult, it's just like he's beyond, he's such a politician, right? Yeah. Like, He's got a goal. He doesn't care if he's insulted or he, his, his 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 courage has just been placed in question. He just keeps on talking. Um, he follows Kirk Douglas and follows uh, well, his apprentice says he's going home or something like that, but he follows him to Scott's Well, he doesn't. He doesn't follow him. He he goes to Scott's residence
1: because he wants to talk to General Scott about the fact that Prentice knows about the um, the exercise, which is supposed to be completely secret. So he's (laughs) saying, hey, you know, there's something up here. Um, And when he goes to Scott's home at eleven thirty, eleven forty five at night or something like that, he sees Prentice. Arrive as well, and he sees Prentice go into um, Scott's residence at um, at uh,
0: at the at the base Fort Meade. I think outside of DC. The one, it's it's interesting as well because the one thing that really, the one thing that really kind of hits home for Jigs Casey that this. Is probably a coup. Is two things happen. He runs into an old army buddy, who's in charge of the El Paso base. Uh, the actor is Andrew Duggan. He's he's a face from the sixties and seventies. Um, Mutt Henderson. He's like Colonel Mutt Henderson, and he tells Casey, "You know, it's odd. We seem to be training more for seizure, you know, than for defense." But then Scott gives a speech. In what looks like the largest stadium in the world. You know, when they they pan around, it's like three decks that's bigger than Yankee stadium. And he gives a barn burner of a political speech. Right. After being introduced by what one suspects is a right wing commentator. Yes. And Casey's watching it at home. And that's what that's what really seals the deal for him that something is really wrong. And that's when he goes to see the president yes and he goes puts together the
1: the piece he puts all put puts together the pieces yes and and does so pretty quickly um um and um you know when you think about all the different pieces they're interesting they're uh, and there are a couple of other things we didn't talk about related to the chiefs to the to the joint chiefs of staff and you know their presence or not presence and you know just a few things that he that make him suspicious and when he puts it all together all these seemingly unconnected pieces of information he comes to i'm going to say not the realization but the strong suspicion that this is what's going on
0: he and when he goes to see the president it's just it's just Casey the president and Paul Gerard right and Casey's the bigger biggest believer in this this potential coup. The other two are very very skeptical, especially Gerard. Yes. They just can't they just can't believe it, which is understandable in nineteen sixty-four that this would seem really far fetched. But the president does does put a team together to kind of investigate. And what a team. It's a great team, isn't it? It is. It, it's it's you know, it's done. interesting. I mean, it, it was it, I, and I
1: don't remember all of the details. Maybe you can fill them in. But he he gets the, he gets the head of the Secret Service.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: He gets um, his uh, a, f- a friend of his from the from the Senate, who's <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about it in a moment. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want I want to give Senator Ray Clark his due. Um, So we'll pause pause for a moment on on him. But he gets uh, gets Ray Clark, his um, obviously his chief of staff, Martin Balsam and the um, head of the Secret Service. But then he also brings in um, um, who I always envision and he probably was not the model because he probably wasn't old enough at this point to be the model. But looking at, you know, watching it from the 80s and 90s and now uh, it's Clark. Cliff, Clifford, it's just an old Washington hand, right? He's kind of done everything, been everywhere, understands power, understands politics, understands how the government works. For he's God, a, the
0: Secretary of the Treasury, a,
1: right? And uh, <laughs> just you know, the smartest guy, and I think he even refers to him as something like the smartest guy in Washington or something yes. like that. Um, but uh, he's the really,
0: epitome, right? The He's the epitome of the supposed wise old men that were around yes. in like the '40s, '50s, and into the '60s. You know those wise old men that got us into Vietnam.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but he's the yep, epitome so of of that. You get the feeling that Christopher Todd is Harvard, Yale, clerk yes. for a Supreme Court justice, and right. then, uh, you know ultimately was successful on Wall Street, and then became uh, you know a number of cabinet positions before he became. Secretary of Treasury under under President Lyman. And yep, you got the secret head of the Secret is involved. You got Jiggs Casey, of course. And um you have Senator Ray Clark from Georgia. Who uh, he is <laughs> a, a real throwback. Kind of he's a he he's a boozer? Yes he is. He's got that great disheveled look. Yep. Seersucker and suit. And he's got the seersucker suit. And you figure he is like just the film's supposed to be in nineteen seventy, but it's nineteen sixty. And he is he's a northerner's version of what <laughs> one of these Dixiecrat senators <laughs> yep. from the South would look like in you know, the fifties yep. or sixties. But that's Edmund <laughs> O'Brien. I mean, Edmund O'Brien did win an Academy Award. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this role. Was um, he really? So he oh, was, I didn't know that. He oh, was a yeah. big. He was a fairly big name, big character actor in the thirties, forties, and into the fifties. So he was a well-known. He was a known commodity. That that actor. He didn't come out of anywhere. And he's just being sharp, old school politician um almost uh, he's a a political hack but at the same time he's a very street smart political hack oh yes so he's got a good team going up against them and and they he, he you know assigns various roles to these people to to um to investigate it almost becomes a detective story for a while
1: well, it does. Everybody has um, everybody has a test because they can't get to an agreement that on the evidence that they have that um, this is actually happening. So they 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 speak for hours and hours and hours, can't get consensus as to what is actually going on. Um, And so the president says, OK, well, we got to gather more facts. And so people have to different people have to go and do different things to go and figure it out. And primarily you have uh, Paul Gerard, the chief of staff is going to fly to Europe to go talk to the one um, military leader who begged out of the Preakness, who is an admiral in uh, the fleet, I guess in the Mediterranean. Um, And that's John Hausman. The... Um, our wonderful Southern Senator is going to go figure out whether this base exists, because one of the things that we, we find out is that the president has no idea at all about the existence um, of this base, which is great. Unheard of.
0: Sorry, sorry to interrupt you uh, just for a minute there. Yeah. It's there's this, this potential military coup has been dropped in the lap of the president and his top aide. And the first thing, and they're he told about, and they're told about various things about this Preakness Pool, which, which is why and why that's odd, why you know, and that Admiral Farley Barneswell has opted out, um, and, and all these kind of pieces of the puzzle, and you know, th- there's a potential military coup in the United States in seven days. First phone call though, is to budget to see if the base in El Paso. Yeah, <laughs> was you know on the books and and funded you know, like legitimately funded. It just struck me as funny that the first call, right? not, not to like, um, you know, your the those military leaders you know who are loyal. The FBI, this that and the other thing. It's like let's call budget and see what's going on. Right, right. <laughs>
1: it's it is it's it, it. <laughs> But it's Washington. I mean, that's Washington, right? I mean, that's <laughs> right, Washington. You know, um, anyway, so um, so. Yeah, so Gerard's uh, off
0: to see the admiral. And what's um, what's good old Ray Clark up to?
1: Ray Clark is going down to Texas to try to um, find out anything about he, he can about this base. And Jiggs is going to try to entice. Ava Gardner in disclosing letters that he knows he knows exists between her and um general scott that would be scandalous and now here pause for a moment because of course in the modern age um <laughs> love letters between a general and his mist- mistress were viewed as things that would bring down the general that this would be it game over right sure. if this became public this is a way to completely and utterly destroy um the possibility of this well maybe i may be overstating it a bit but i mean they were they were viewed as being particularly um damaging right that this was going to be this was going to be it you know if we they, get these if we get this proof you know with these letters
0: the silver bullet
1: there we go yeah we can we can ultimately use that
0: and because so scott that re- not, not just before you go on I, you know we probably should have said this you know, scott is a well-known public figure He's very popular with a certain segment of the country. He's very well known. And so the natural reaction is they just don't jump to asking for his resignation because they think that um, that would incite such a large percentage of the country, the Senate, the Congress, and um, may even fear impeachment. Mm -hmm. That's how popular Scott is. They never say like Scott is, you know a shoo-in for anything, but he's kind of viewed, I'm trying to think of a modern, re- well, recent equivalent. He, in the public's eye, you get the feeling he held the same kind of reputation as Colin Powell did at a certain point in his career as this, you know, veteran of, of wars, you know, this, this high-ranking official who puts... You know, the country above his own self-interest and just one of those one of those people that has a good rep and is well respected in the country and is a name. He's not a face. He's not faceless brass. This guy's yeah. out there and is a name now. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I think I, I think that's a, it's a, And it's interesting. I mean, you know, I joke about these letters and their, you know, the, the, the perception of how they would be, uh, how effective they would be as a bit of political theater. But
0: um, it, it's a different time.
1: Yeah, no, That's it's a different. Yeah. I was just gonna say it's a it's a different. It was very much a different time, and I don't think that we have. I mean, I think you're right. I think Colin Powell was probably the closest we come to a to a General Scott, but I think probably no one really does in modern times because it was just a, you know you're you're talking about in the the height of the Cold War, right? um and we're talking about a class of military leadership back then i mean these were all people these were you know back in the the 60s these were all people who cut their teeth in the second world war right i mean they you
0: know i I was
1: joking about curtis lemay i mean he oversaw you know the bombing of japan i mean you know he was all his you know all those things were his you know his things and i mean you know obviously you know people like um um um, Robert McNamara, of course, not anybody in the movie, but, you know, of that, you know, vintage, I mean, these were all people who helped us when the, you know, uh, I'll say up until that point, um, you know, the most dangerous times in the country's history, you know, these were the people who saved us, right? It was the military, right? It was an actual out all and out fighting war. And so someone like Scott, I just don't I don't think there really is a modern equivalent. Oh, no, no. And I,
0: kind of. the Yeah. No, the no. I know. I, I know think of, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think you're right. I, that's what I said. I think you're right about Colin Powell. But I think it's important to remember that in watching a movie like this is that this is, you know, we're talking about, you know, oh, you know, this this treaty that everybody. Th- oh, we have people are really, you know, angry about it. But this was life and death stuff from a lot of people's perspective. the war with the cold war with the Soviets was a very real and very dangerous um, um, thing that was going on. and, And it occupied people's minds. I mean, it was, it was a source of paranoia. It was the source of, you know, McCarthy. It was the source of Vietnam. I mean, it was the source of, of an awful lot of, you know, horrible things that happened in the country. So I think viewing it through that way, Scott's, you know, as a figure is larger than life. And, um, again, probably no, no equivalent that we could, you know, point to today.
0: And you get a good, well, oh, oh, as an aside, like John Houseman's character, the Navy Admiral, I like to think he was like a big wig at the battle of Midway. I'm thinking, yeah, Barley Barnes. you know, battle of Midway, maybe commanding a carrier, um, <laughs> Uh, just because he looks like the type, but um, you get a good sense of Scott when he the the um, after the afternoon before the cocktail party, he is in front of a Senate committee answering questions, and it gets a little contentious between Senator Prentiss and Senator Clark, but for the most part, Scott answers questions in a very calm cool deliberate way he's not this is the scary thing about scott is that i think he's insane i think he's an insane egomaniac but it's a very quiet insanity you it's easy to see why many people would respect him, follow him and believe everything he says it's absolutely completely 100% understandable that he would have a following of admirers and would be held in high regard regardless of whether you agreed with him or disagreed with him throughout the country and that's the way lancaster plays he's not a raving lunatic he's you know he's not a villain who's cackling in the corner rubbing his hands together and and talking about you know talking about crazy things he, yeah. he plays it. He plays it really, really straight. And you can see why people admire him. And that makes him, in my mind, even scarier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's I think that's right. And I think, again, it it, it is kind of emblematic of the of the times because I, I think you you know, there is a reference and you made the reference as well back to to General General Walker. You know, the United States military had these. Uh, I, I'll call them right wing. I don't even know if that's technically the right way to describe them, but they were, you know, incredibly competent at what they did. Um, were of course very successful at what they did, and you know they were almost like um, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, right? You couldn't really remove them if you even if you didn't like them, <laughs> because they were, you know, so. Strong and popular in a lot of ways, and for good reason, right? Um, and Bert Lancaster just does a fantastic job with the with the yeah. character. I mean, he he's uh,
0: part. We well, could almost argue the part was written for him. You, you, I mean, you know, Walker was an extremist. He was a right wing extremist. That yes. that's you don't you don't really get a sense of of um, Scott's. You don't know what Scott's social policies would be if he was put in charge. You know what I mean? It, it, this is this movie, and Scott <clears> or <throat> the Scott character—they're children of the Cold War. There's yeah. one. There's one overarching issue. It's that if we do this, the Soviets, basically if we do this, the Soviets—we're opening the doors. The Soviets are going to stroll in. Right. Right. And that's it. You don't know if. if yeah. You don't get a sense is is, is Scott. Pro choice, pro life. <laughs> this, this, right. Thing. This is yeah. No clue. So yeah, he's no, a, it's
1: all one. It's ext- a one issue. It's a one issue movie. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> he's an extremist, but it's it's almost like a procedural extremist that you don't really know You don't really know his politics <laughs> right. really because one of the things I like was Casey doesn't like the treaty either. No, but he's a military man and a good military man. can have an opinion. But he doesn't run around saying, you know, this treaty sucks. It shouldn't be enforced and we should overthrow the government to make sure it's not, you know, it, it's not enforced. He's like, that's, that's, he tells, I think he tells, um, is it Prentice? He says, Hey, you know, that's Congress. That's your job. That's, that's not my job. Yeah. You know, your job is to debate all this treaty stuff and, pass it or not pass it and the president signs it into law and that's not my job you you know you worry about your job i'll worry about mine and
1: yeah and and he he right and he he thinks that general scott has made incredibly strong arguments and de- to demonstrate why the treaty is is terrible I mean, he's, he's, he's a, all on board he's
0: a fanboy of scott he admires yes he admires scott greatly but you know the I mean, one of the things that makes this makes this movie i think i'm watching it and i'm thinking to myself well you know any great movie really often deals with kind of timeless kind of timeless questions or or universal human behavior or emotions but this is just you know the theme here is just the do the ends justify the means Mm. and this is just one incarnation of that that great question because i really think like you got these these military guys and at least one senator um, are essentially willing to shred the Constitution in order to save the Constitution. And we've been we we pose that question all the time uh, in various ways. Well, you know. At what point does the rule of law you know, get in the way of saving the country or just could or we fantasize about oh, just once I'd like to bend the law to do good. You know, right. well, you know, you can't do good and bend the law at the same time. You know, you got to follow the law. And that's. Um, uh, well, maybe we'll we can circle back to that. If you want to talk about Senator Clark's adventures in the desert, maybe and kind of like maybe we'll um, kind of just go through kind of the rest of the plot. If sure. you want to talk about our good friend, Ray Clark.
1: Yeah, let's let's go through the rest. Let's go through the rest of the the plot here. So so Jiggs and it's interesting here with the movie, um, here's one of the things I like about it is here you have Kirk Douglas. Right. I mean, you know, leading man, probably peak of his career at this point. Um, And um, he plays his role of bringing his analysis to the president. But then he's largely absent from the rest of what happens. Now he goes and he he gets the letters from from Ava Gardner. But then he kind of, you know, his role is largely over, Um, not completely, but but largely over. Um, uh, Ray goes to this base where he is, uh, which he finds. (laughs) He finds uh, the base. He actually finds it in the middle of the desert. He's right, there's a great scene of him in a in a in a bar with uh, some great sixties yeah um, jazz great. on the radio and a girl who's <laughs> dancing and, and uh,
0: bar slash diner in the middle of the desert, desert yeah get right because
1: because the guy heard there was going to be a base there so he built uh, so he bought this diner
0: and anyway so he goes he I just kind of wanted like big back there and they could call it Mel's Diner yeah you know in the middle of the middle of nowhere diner. <laughs> yeah he's, he's drunk and he's still able to find the base <laughs> he's drunk and he's he's able to
1: find the base but he he gets um detained he, yeah he gets detained he gets essentially locked in a room by the um by the commander of the base who we had met earlier jiggs has, has run into them and, and run into him he's an, i think he's an army officer and
0: does he get um, he's locked? a he gets he, app, he gets apprehended. And I think that guy doesn't know about it right away. No,
1: gets, no, Well, I'm talking about two different guys. So there's Jig's friend, Mutt, Mutt. But then there's the um, the actual commander of the base. Mutt is the executive officer of the base.
0: The other commander's that really snarky guy you yes, meet early on that yes. yeah, almost has a grudge. I thought you'd be an ACLU attorney by yes. now or something like that. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: And he's uh, and and he is he's also a he is very much a right wing um, officer. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's it's actually a somewhat of a plot point. Some of some of the and it's some of the evidence that the president ultimately lays out to scott later on um but um so yeah so he gets detained by this um right-wing officer and um is stuck in this room for a few days and they actually k- keep supplying him with whiskey which he refuses to <laughs> drink right he has no 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 i gotta keep my head he, he refuses to drink he knows in,
0: exactly what he on. knows exactly
1: what's going on and, and martin balsam has gone off to um uh, Europe and he gets John Houseman to admit to what's going on and has him write a statement. That um, is
0: one that might be my favorite scene. It is a
1: it is a great scene because Do you like gambling
0: poker, what's your game? Yeah, you know, those are house games. I don't like the odds, you know? Yeah. What about, yeah. What, what about the preakness? It <laughs> depends on the horse, the weather. I like a sure thing, and Martin Balsam's like, "I got a sure thing for you. We know all about the coup. You're gonna confess because the admiral didn't want in, but by not reporting it, he's still part of it."
1: Yeah, he's yodel, right? And uh, in the yes. in the um, in the overthrow of Hitler. Um, he, he's yeah. trying to he's trying to be on both sides of the fence. Um, yeah, and it is, and it's it's great dialogue. And it's done really well. And, and one of the things I liked about it, too, is that the Martin Balsam character has, you know, kind of all along has been this is nonsense. This can't be right. Th- there may be all of these bits of evidence, but th- this can't be correct. Right. Um, um, but he goes and when he sits down with the admiral, he plays hardball in that dialogue. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just, and, and he, he does his job and it, and I, and it is, it's a, it's a great, it is, a, I, it is one of my favorite scenes too. And so he, John it,
0: House, yeah, John Houseman says, I wish I had more time and yeah, like, you don't. <laughs> right. Here's a piece Here, of paper. Here's a paper. <laughs> yeah. And ha- so he, Houseman is, Houseman is great too, because he's just so, he's John Houseman. Yeah, exactly. that, I just, it's like, I just caught you participating in a coup by, you're a non-participant in the coup, so you're part of the coup because you're, 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 you know, not, you're not informing us about it, and he's, so, so he's, he's caught, and he's going to confess, he's going to write the confession, it's not like he's going to try to weasel his way out of it, he's going to write the confession, but he still looks, like, scary and intimidating. He does. <laughs> I <I'm> like, <laughs> Is Martin Bolton going to get out of there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so he gets he gets the confession and then um, um, wisely, as it turns out, puts it in a cigarette case that was given to him by the president and then make, starts to make his way back to back to Washington. Um, uh, and, and interestingly enough, um, so. Uh, just as a, as an aside, there, there's a scene where, um, uh, what's his name? Senator, um, Clark is going off to, um, going down to Texas. And then there's another scene when he comes back from Texas and it's filmed inside the newly built, um, Dulles international airport. Um, Brand
0: spanking new, right? Yeah, it was
1: brand spanking new at the time. Yeah. So just a, just a little bit of a side note. Um, but in any event, um, so he's balsams off doing that. Um, the president in the meantime has cancelled his weekend getaway um, he's
0: not gonna he's canceling the exercise right he's
1: well well he's first he's canceling his weekend getaway because what he's done is the secret service has um, uh, uh, sent out a crew um, to kind of stake out the property and what they see um, are two of uh, scott's henchman, his chief of staff so Oscar as well Goldman, Yeah, oscar <laughs> goldman plus the um plus this this nazi officer um themselves surveying and surveilling um
0: the, the president's yeah vacation home on blue lake
1: on blue lake which is where this this coup is going to take the but
0: isn't it correct him. me if correct me if i'm wrong the sequence of events is he first tells scott he's not going to show up He's going to he's going to take the weekend and go fishing. Oh, that's
1: right. He's can't. Yes, 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 yes. That's right. I'm sorry. I, and, I, I screwed and, up the plot point there. Yep.
0: And then the Secret Service does its job. And right. He ultimately also tells him he's canceling. He will ultimately say I'm also canceling the exercise. And right. that throws Scott into a bit of a tailspin. Yes. And a few the, other um, things
1: happen along the way. I mean, I think, you know, Jigs and the Secret Service guy kind of.
0: They're see Palin. another
1: clandestine yeah. meeting between Scott and Prentice and um, Sean Hannity or whoever the,
0: the guy is. <laughs> and I think uh, uh, the, uh, you mentioned Yodel in um, in Valkyrie. Yeah. I also think the the Mutt Henderson character played by um, Andrew Duggan, the actor Andrew yeah. Duggan in El Paso is like the head of the home guard. Right. He doesn't even he doesn't know he's part of a coup. Right. Right. Because that, he comes and he tightly... sees.
1: Yeah. He comes and sees Ray Clark because he says, oh, well, I uh, because Ray Clark had gone to Texas with um, um, Mutt's His telephone number. number. Right. because yeah. jigs had so. given it to him said, hey, look up, you know, my friend, because he he knows where the he obviously knows where the base is. He's the exact exact officer. So when the exec officer finds out that Senator Clark had called him at home, he finds him on the base and he's kind of like, "Well, what the hell's going on? And um, Clark fills him in, um, lets him know that he's uh, he's he he, whether he knows it or not, he's uh, he's a part of the he's a part of the coup. Um, And so uh, uh, Mutt and Clark escape from the base. Um, That's
0: the only pretty much the only action scene, isn't it?
1: yeah pr- pretty much and and mutt you know uses not only his um military authority but also uses his physical prowess he's a big yes, guy. he's a um, tall guy yeah yeah. but he you know he strips some soldier of his weapon and you know kind of threatens him and 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 they get away um and make their way back to dc back to dallas airport where 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 mutt uh so, disappears? so uh, he disappears yeah, Clay, Ray Clark goes and he, he makes a phone call on a public telephone yeah. for, those, for those of you old enough who remember what those things were um, and uh, while he's making the call Mutt just mysteriously disappears Yeah, and
0: the implication is he's, he's being held by right. the, the conspirators they, right. they've nabbed him and are holding him yes um, and Martin Balsam's plane goes down crashes the, the key piece, the, the key piece, the, the, in 64, I think much like the devil, in 64, the greatest protection this conspiracy could have would be people's, you know, not being able to believe it. Yes. And so, so even though they have all these pieces of the puzzle, and personally, you know, I would have rounded up all of them and you know suspended habeas corpus, arrested them the nine yards yeah, uh luckily, you know President Lyman is um he wants he wants the nail in the, he wants that he wants a confession, he wants the nail in the coffin, yeah that's the admiral's confession, it's in the cigarette case with Paul Gerard, and Gerard planes Girard, the plane Gerards in crashes and there's no hints, correct me if I'm wrong, unless I miss something. There is no hint that that was intentional, the plane no, going down.
1: No, no, no. And it's, it's interesting because I I've, over the years and viewing of it, I've I've kind of thought about that. I've kind of said, you know, it's interesting that they didn't go there. Right. Because I, I suspect if if this movie were remade again uh,
0: because it was remade, um, that, exactly what they would have done. Exactly, yes. That that he and would they have probably been, would have shown a scene where the admiral dispatches, you know, an F eighteen or whatever fighter right, to follow right, the plane, right? The whole, right. Or somebody puts a bomb on eight.
1: it or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, no, none of no. There's no. There's no uh, indication, no hint, no suspicion at all that the the crash would have been. You know
0: the, the the crash was somehow manufactured. So yeah. So and, this, and ultimately the the there's you know some good uh, personal. The Kirk Douglas character is doing what he feels is his duty. He doesn't like the he doesn't like the politics of it, and I I don't mean you know. the partisan politics of it. He the idea of using. Ellen Holbrook's the letters between Eleanor Holbrook, Ava Gardner and and General Scott, just it's kind of dirty politics. And it was something you get the feeling he's tried to avoid in his military career. And ultimately, they don't have to use the letters. Ultimately, they
1: well, ultimately, they don't use the letters. The president does not use the letter ultimately almost almost does. he almost does but and i wouldn't say that he doesn't have to he makes the decision not to that's so right you're right let, let, so let's get yes. let's let, let, let's get to it so 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 i'll we'll set it up so ray senator clark has come back and he's reported that this base exists and he's reported also that mutt has disappeared um Jiggs has the letters He's got the evidence from the Secret Service about people staking out his vacation home. He's got um, um, the phone call from Martin Balsam saying, "I've got the the confession." Right. So he's got all of now. He's got you know everybody is convinced, including uh, Clark Clifford. Um, so he 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 knows what's what's going on. I mean, he knows now. There's no question. This is what's going on. He does not have the smoking. Gun quite because he doesn't have the signed confession, but he absolutely knows what's going on and he has to do something because the coup is coming.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's like already going on like Saturday,
1: right? Right, yeah, so it's coming. So he calls Scott to his office. He summons
0: the general.
1: Yes, to confront him. And and he lays it all out. He says, I, I know what you're doing, and I want your resignation, and I want the resignation
0: of um, all
1: the other um,
0: uh, chiefs not, of not all, Not all of them. He names names, and in the scene. Yes. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. No. There's, the, the, there's, the, there's the nameplate of one general, and he doesn't name that general. So I want to go back and watch to see if that general's not really in the meetings or. or, or... <laughs> something he wants he, wa- he, he was like yeah because okay. that's what
1: jigs because Jig says that he he's early on when they have a joint chiefs of staff yeah. meeting one of them wasn't there
0: yeah okay. and it was that guy that's right yeah okay that, all right whoever,
1: whoever that guy was yeah so anyway so so the and it's this really interesting dialogue that goes on because he says i want you guys to resign and scott says you just let us fire us I'm not going to resign, but you can fire us. Yeah. It's your prerogative to do so, and um, because Scott knows, and this is part of the dialogue, ultimately that he can't really do that. He doesn't. He he no longer has really the political standing to be able to do that with this twenty nine percent approval rating. So Scott's willing to you know go up to the line there, and and basically says, no, not going to. You want to fire us? You can fire us. He's Um, not admitting
0: to the coup. Not admitting to the coup. Um, He's not admitting to the coup. He's got an answer for everything. However, his honor, I think it's him or his aide who's outside, but their high talk of kind of honor and duty is besmirched by the fact that they're they're going to lie about the presidential authorization for that secret base. Yes. The president's like, I never authorized that, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, well you know, Oscar Goldman, whatever, whatever yeah. his name is in the movie. <laughs> um, He's, you know, he's going to look at his notes. So, uh, oh, on such and such a date, uh, we discussed it and you authorized it. You know, that's right. what my notes will say. And right there already, like, even though, you know, as a patriotic American, I'm against the coup, at least up until that point, you did get the sense that, however, however misguided and criminal it was that that Scott had honor and sincerely believed he was doing the right thing. However much I think it was the wrong thing, he never got the sense that he was doing this um, for his own ego. No. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. But at that point, you start to wonder, all right, now here we go. They're gonna yeah. start. They're gonna doctor the books, yep. and and this is how it starts. They're wrong from the get go, but otherwise, I th- you believe they they sincerely believe that the Russians are gonna come waltzing in. It.
1: It, it's it, it's a great point. They they definitely. I I don't think you can watch the movie and not reach the conclusion that Scott and everybody, you know, surrounding him, that truly believe. This is an existent. This treaty is an existential threat to the country, right. right? And when Lyman, during this conversation, you know, kind of says to him, "Why don't you, you know, run for election, right? Why don't you, you know, if you think it's so horrible, go through the democratic process that we have, um, in order to, you know, make your point and 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 make it known?" And and Scott basically just kind of laughs him off and and.
0: Um, yeah. He gives a lame response. I don't think the country will be here in a year or nine. Yeah, months.
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In, in he, other yeah.
0: words, democracy is,
1: is it's, it, you know, and look, it's an interesting, it's an interesting argument. Um, the, um, the back in the twenties and thirties, Right. With the the fascists, you know, part of their argument as to why fascism was a better form of government. Is that it is a. um, um, Modern times don't allow for democratic processes. Right. Right. And so we need things to move quicker. We need things to um, um, you know, we need governments that are more responsive and it's, and the reason I bring this up and, and, you know, going down this digression, because we see it actually same sorts of arguments, um, if not explicitly made being implicitly made today in the United States where, you know, we see a degree of admiration in some circles for the Eastern European governments, which are if not outright dictatorships, many of them are pretty darn close to them
0: do we do we want to um I know it's an old movie do we want to spoil the ending or do you want to talk about this conversation they have or how it comes out? What do you think
1: yeah, no, I think we should spoil it i, I don't i don't think <laughs> okay. we're're we're, we're not
0: uh... <laughs> well why don't you explain to the why't why do not you explain to our listener? how 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 this how it wraps up the yeah um, so this um, conversation so
1: it's
0: so um
1: uh, well, our I, listener actually, may be interested our, <laughs> I, I actually don't remember how the conversation itself wraps up but i mean but the, the, at the end of the conversation where it's clear that scott is not going to resign
0: they got um, the confession
1: um in well, the
0: wreckage of the plane. right? Well, they, they,
1: they, they do, but unbeknownst to the president. So so he's going to so before Scott leaves, he opens his drawer to pull out the letters right to confront him with the letters, but then decides not to do it. But then he goes ahead and holds a press conference, as he told Scott, he would do to right. ask for the resignations of these generals, because this is he's, his kind of view is I've got to do this. This is this is all that I can do politically is go down this pathway and perhaps in the course of this, right, things will happen and, and, it, and it will work. And as he's going to the press conference, I think he gets, um, um, he gets hold of the letter and, and knows.
0: sends Casey to confront. Yeah. Yeah. Confront Scott, right? That's yeah, what happens. yeah. Or I guess actually, actually during the
1: course one. of the press conference, I think he's out there doing this and then someone comes and asks him to, uh, to, you know, you know to step off the podium for a moment and they and they give him a letter and that's when he right he sends casey off but but it's this really great scene where he stands up on the podium and he's saying and he's you know he's 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 taking this is one of the reasons when i was a kid i thought this movie was really smart he is taking action from the podium right he's saying i'm asking for their resignations and he's delivering also information as it becomes available because he says, I've got this letter because they start the stuff starts coming in. Like one of the generals, right. you know, does decide to resign because he realizes, it's a, you know, losing strategy. He says, I'm you know, I've got the letter of resignation. They also, you know, uh, with, when the e battalions con you know, going to go start flying all over the place, <clears throat> one of the generals gets um, in charge of the Air Force transports can't get a straight answer about what the hell's going on. So he calls the white house and the white house tells him, you know, shut it down. So it's, it's this really interesting set of scenes where the coup really starts to run up against real problems. Well, and it starts yeah, yeah. to, it starts to fall apart. Right.
0: And it starts to fall, fall apart. People might look at this. I'm sure there's a a, a type of person who would look at this and say these writers and frankenheimer hate the military this is some left-wing you know bs type of thing but the fact of the matter is there are people in the military that almost bristle at the fact that we have civilian control and they think they know better but there are people in the military who, who to a large extent stop the coup in this movie it's it's Mud Henderson gets Clark out when he realizes what's going on. Jigs Casey is a Marine colonel. There's military people following orders, like, you know, shutting down the transports. So if the military is to blame for the conspiracy in, in you know, it's also um, stopping the coup. Mm. Um, and one, it makes me wonder, because you're right. It doesn't take much. Uh, w- once you get a couple links in the chain, the coup runs up against real problems and it makes you wonder if if the smartest person of all was the, the John Houseman character. Yeah. He never th- <laughs> he, he never thought it was... Because when you're watching it, you're almost like, this might be a sure thing, at least to the extent of the, the coup initially succeeding. Mm-hmm. But Houseman's like, I... I you know, I only like sure bets. And he's like, This this isn't a sure bet, and Houseman was right. Yep. I um never really wanted to get too political on this podcast, but there's a couple things that well, I think it's ironic that we're talking about this on um two or three days, you know, after January sixth. Yes. Not a coup, but um since since you know january this is a coup in 1964 this is a movie people probably saw and said this is you know before vietnam really exploded it's before bobby kennedy was assassinated It's before watergate it's before mlk was assassinated it's before the worst parts of vietnam and the disillusionment so a lot of people probably saw this movie as something of almost a alternate history fantasy type of movie, Mm -hmm. like a good political thriller. And that's about it. You know, but in the past, in the past year, we have seen, we have seen what I would, I characterize as a, in a way farcical, but real attempt at an insurrection, a violent insurrection, Mm-hmm. We have seen we have seen a conspiracy to steal an election. Mm-hmm. We are now seeing people using legal means. It may not uphold if there's a constitutional challenge, there may be issues, but they're using the law to essentially steal elections by preventing people from voting and just to show i'm not completely partisan on this point there almost was something of a coup after january 6th i don't we don't know this for a fact or it was it was certainly coup like we started to get reports that military people and certain other people in the government we're gonna ignore the president presidential commands if they came down. Yes, you remember that kind of. Stuff? Yes, and I yes. was thinking to myself. You know, there's there's been a number of presidents I dislike and, and one I loathe, but at the time I was like, you know, guys, he's still the president. Yeah, and you, but you get you had one or one or two or three military people discussing. I'm not taking up his phone call. I'm not. Doing this, I'm thinking, my God! In the space of about a year, um, it's like seven days in May, in this, you know, numerous times in one way, shape, or form. But the last point I want to make on that before I don't want to delve too much into like anything crazy, partisan politics stuff is um, the scary part about this movie, and the scary part maybe moving forward and how how far-sighted this movie was. Lyman's president Lyman's problem is the problem everybody who tries to follow the law and due process has when they go up against people who don't care about the law or due process. Right. It is literally bringing a knife to a gunfight. Yeah. Lyman's worried about various factors. Lyman's worried about evidence, enough evidence and he doesn't really even want to arrest these people. Yeah. He wants to he wants have them, to them resign. resign. Yeah, he wants them to just to go quietly. Yeah. And that's essentially the, the, you know, the problem of law abiding people fighting people who aren't going to abide the law. You're always, if you're going to maintain your principles, you're always going to be at a disadvantage. And the only other thing, because you know, we're going on like almost an hour, 10 minutes, I wanted to add was um, quickly. I thought it was funny that the president, you know, this is supposed to be in the future. So the vice president is a guy named Gianelli. Yeah. Like, okay, we can, can, can <laughs> Italian Americans can be vice president now in the future. Um, I like the fact that the president's name is Lyman, and I always wonder if you watched West Wing, where the deputy chief of staff, of course, Bradley Whitford, is Josh Lyman. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if President Lyman was his like uncle. Or somebody else. I wonder if that was intentional. Oh, interesting. The name. Yeah. No, that's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I thought did, about it. And I did think about if they ever remade this movie, it Again. would be action. It, it would be action. It would be a lot of action. And yeah. then I thought to myself, God, they did. So I did watch The 94. Oh, you did? Okay. I watched it I did, many,
1: many, many, many years ago. And um, I, no, I haven't watched
0: it since. I did watch The 94, and it's not a It's got a lot of good actors. It's not a good movie. One of the problems with the movie is the remake is it was conceived in the early 80s, but it comes out in 94. HBO was an HBO production. It's Forrest Whitaker. It's Sam Waterston. It's Jason Robards. I mean, you you had good, good actors Uh, there. It's it's. It's a legal coup. It's the military and some politicians getting the entire cabinet they're angry at the president because he's going to veto the budget because it authorizes a 30% increase in the Pentagon budget. And this is, this is a couple years. So this is coming out a couple of years after the Soviet unions falling apart. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the Warsaw Pact is now gone. The, um, the Warren, you know, the Warren terror is in the future. So it's straddling this strange era. It's like, who would authorize a 30% increase in the defense budget in 1994? this is, doesn't. So the reason for the, the coup doesn't make sense. It's not a real coup. All they're really doing is utilizing the 25th amendment to get rid of the president. Right. So they make it legal in a weird way. And there's a lot of action in it. There's yeah. a couple, um, he's got to escape force. Whitaker has to escape, uh, you know, an assassination attempt or two along the way. So it's weak. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Unfortunately, it's a waste of a good cast.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, when I saw it many years ago, that was that was my my conclusion because I'm a
0: big Forrest Whitaker fan. And I
1: and there was a period of time, anything he was in, I would watch. And I was disappointed frequently, (laughs) unfortunately, just did did not get that many good movies, some great roles. Right. Not necessarily good movies. Um, They even lift
0: lift whole whole scenes and lines from the original, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, they they yeah. they tried in some ways, and it just didn't it 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 didn't work. Um, I, I'd like to make a a couple of couple of points. One is, um, much better conception, um, and as good execution, I think, as the Manchurian candidate. Manchurian candidate, you know, very famous. You get, you know, essentially your 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 sleeper in there to go and you
0: know create, um, political almost like chaos. a cousin. Just like a cousin of this movie right yeah
1: yeah i think and Frank frankenheimer also so yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know not surprising that it was a, you know it's a good movie but this one in my mind more much more believable than you know some consortium of communist powers kidnapping and brainwashing a you know son of a of a of the washington glitterati to become an assassin right just right yeah, just kind of kooky but um, so that's just one comment, and, and your comment on on politics is it, it's it's an interesting one because we are living through you know difficult times. Country has lived through difficult times in the past as as well. Um, and the thing that I like about the Seven Days of May, the original incarnation, and I think you 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 created a really nice dividing line in the in the '64 movie. Um, there was no twisting of legal principles. There was no ah. We're going to invoke the Twenty Fifth Amendment. This was a coup. Yes. They were going to kidnap the president, <laughs> right, yep. and replace yeah. him. I mean, that there's no question, right? This is outside of the the you know the the constitutional norms and and all of that. <laughs> I could check the
0: statutes, but I think you're
1: right. <laughs> I don't think it's there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and and I've been thinking a lot about you know as probably everybody has what's been going on in this country for the past uh, past few years, and um, you know very just dis- you know very distressed by it because I am a, view myself uh, as very patriotic and 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 very much um, have all of my life felt privileged by birth to be a citizen of the United States. I, I, I really, I really have.
0: Um, yeah, and he went in the lottery.
1: Yeah, yeah, truly. Um, and, um, uh, you know, for me, it, it was always based around a very rich respect for the rule of law, right. And, and truthfulness. And, and I think the, um, The thing that I've been kind of reflecting on is, you know, people have been talking a lot, for example, about um, what is going on at the state level with election officials, you know, people running who are Trump loyalists who are not going to certify, right, election results. And, you know, people are getting up in arms about this. Um, But there is fundamentally a difference, right, between something like that and you know what happened in seven days in may um because there is you know what they're trying to do and this is true also of course with all the laws about you know restricting ballot access in, in some jurisdictions these are things that people are doing my hope is they are challengeable in court on the basis of whatever whether it's discrimination or equal protection or um um, you know lack of evidence based decision making right arbitrary um and capricious decision making by government officials right all sorts of things that can be can be challenged and even though um uh it was a very difficult period of time to live through um a year ago um in that in that period, cooler heads ultimately did prevail and um, while in my opinion the thing that's not talked about enough about January 6 2020 is not so much the you know fact that the you know you could argue the president of the United States you know urged his his supporters to try to violently change the election results and it wasn't so much the The problem with the members of Congress not voting to certify election results, even though that process is really supposed to be or historically has been more of just a rubber stamp, it's the fact that the capital of the United States was under siege and for four hours the executive did nothing to protect the first branch of the government from violent physical attack.
0: And the vice president of the United States. And the vice president of the United States. But, yes.
1: but to me, it's, it's something that I've, I've always found odd that we haven't heard more of, which was why wasn't the... Why, there's a Fort Myers is across the river. There's an army base literally a mile from the Capitol, let, let alone whatever they have in the city of D.C. itself. I mean, they were all there, and the executive did nothing to protect members of the legislative branch of government. Um, that to me is the, is the, the, the most significant deviation from, um, uh, you know, I call it the standard of care, right? That the executive needs to exercise in, in, uh, in office. Um, because all of the other stuff, right? The challenge to the certification, these, these are all things people can do legally, Hey, you don't think that the election results as certified by the states accurately reflect the will of the people. If you have a basis for claiming that
0: knock yourself out Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: and, and we've got processes in play. Now, that particular right. process is not a particularly good one. But to me, that's the that's the thing. And, and, and what I like about Seven Days of May at the movie is that it is unambiguous in that regard. Scott was going <laughs> to it wasn't a matter of breaking Democratic norms. He was throwing the Constitution out the window. I'm going to militarily take control over the government. It was what completely unambiguous.
0: If he had, if he had, oh, I also read just before I forget um, the Preakness was always on a Saturday. So I guess in the background, which I never noticed, there's signs that say, like, first time Preakness on a Sunday. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the writer came in, and, like, somebody came in and said, we have a problem. The Preakness. You know, <laughs> l- much like up in Saratoga when they do the, what's um, the big one they do in Traverse? Yeah. Um, they're, sa- they're big Saturdays. It's a big Saturday, you know? Yeah. And they're oh, like, yeah, uh, yeah. so they made sure there's like two places in the movie where you read that, hey, for the first time ever, the Pre- this is going to be held on a Sunday. Got it. <laughs> what, what would, a, I, I'm wondering what would have, what would the, what was scott's plan afterwards was he ultimately gonna turn it back over to the vice i i I would i'm just curious of what the what the long-range plan was
1: i suspect if we read the book we would we would get more of that and i think during his conversation with lyman he he the implication is that he was he was simply going to become president
0: that's kind of the implication i got as well Yeah. yeah Which I get as well, and, and I don't care how popular, this is probably why I was set in the future. I don't care how pro- popular a guy like that was. If that had occurred, back in that day, there would have been the senators and congressmen from both sides of the aisle up in arms about this. Back in the 60s? And, yes, yes. Yes, and I mean, we had that. You had the Republican senators telling Nixon it was time to go. Yep, you didn't. You know, there was a certain point in time where, you know, ultimately it was was um, country before before yes. party or, or country before personality. Yeah. So in '64, I, I, you know, I'd not seen it fly. So maybe that's another reason why they said it in the near future, which, you know. They showed a lot of foresight. I might actually be tempted to read it now that I think about it. Yeah.
1: No, I, I, I thought about it over the years as well. I've um, not
0: gotten around to it. Do um, you think Lyman, was he in his first term or second term, do you think? I, I'm thinking second term, right, to make such a bold move. I think uh, it's interesting. Que- I think first term. Does he, is there a question about, oh, because uh, run against me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does he, does he challenge him to run? He, against, does he yep. challenge Scott? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He says. Yeah. He says run 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 for office. Um, run
0: against me in a year and nine months. He says. But yeah. it's May, so a year and a nine nine months would be. Were we holding elections in like February? I don't know. Well, yeah. So you think it's first term? That's that's that makes sense. Yeah. Based on that challenge.
1: Yeah, and there were also some other kind of just implications about kind of the uh, here and there, uh, not not overt, but I always got had the impression that it was that it was first term as well
0: and i thought it was also kind of showed a lot of foresight that even though he's not a big character at all there's a political commentator involved in the coup yes and um you know well that's got relevance for that that has relevance in the modern in the modern era um that it does um, but it's, I, uh, I, but you know, I mean, it was I'd the, it
1: was the carrying of, you know, I mean, it was the control of the media, right? I mean, that was, right, the,
0: exactly it the, was
1: a whole thing that, that base in El Paso, that's what it was all about. They were going to take over the media, right? So they could control the
0: lines of information. It is quaint though, that Scott's downfall could have been an affair. Yeah. That seems, you know, after Bill Clinton and everything else, that all seems very like quaint and yes. And old fashioned. Um, I think this, this, if I would like to see this. I would like to see a uh, this, a, a remake or a reimagining. And I would like to see what a good screenwriting team and a good director could put together in kind of a modern version of this. I, I'd be very interested to see that. It, it would be, you know, I mean, I was thinking, I was thinking about political thrillers, and
1: there was one that I thought was actually pretty good, <clears throat> it had nothing to do with a coup. Um, but it was, was it, uh, I don't remember the name, but I think it was like Jeff Bridges. Um, Christian Slater was in it, I think. And the movie is about the replacement of the vice president who has, I think, died or something. And um, the president wants um, this um, senator, a woman, who is played by a fairly famous actress, who who I've completely forgotten about. And it's about oh, and Gary Oldman is in it, who's um, the opposition. And it's a nice bit of you know inside politics kind of kind of movie. Nothing quite so dramatic, but it 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 does reflect nicely on the use of media, right, and image and in all of those things and how they can be utilized and manipulated but this is all pre-social media and i think that the the challenge that we have when it comes to you know remaking this and kind of setting it in modern times is how effectively social media can be utilized because i mean part of the part of the problem you know that you would have in my mind in in making that is kind of part of the problem that i think that that uh that trump had in you know some of his you know grand lies about um the election is that you know he had this this social media apparatus which um you know riled up his supporters but it also riled up the opposition right and you can't simply rely on that. And, and, you know, kind of one of the things that uh, I always thought, having studied a bit, what was going on in the um, early 20th century or early-ish 20th century with the rise of fascism, was always this kind of this notion is that, well, if you've got about 35% of the population behind you really committed, you can do just about anything you want in a country, right? I mean, that was, you know, Hitler and, and Mussolini and Franco. I mean, they, they never really had huge overwhelming popular support no and um i'm not i'm not sure that that is the case so much in a modern democracy um because i think that those those lines of media make it a little bit more difficult to completely control the messaging and i think that's one of the problems you would have in a movie in a movie like this is it it things leak a lot quick people know things you know a lot quicker and the evidence is there because i post you know somebody posted it on twitter yeah, yeah, right, I I like, right yeah. yeah you know oh i said it on you know one of the sunday you know well, talk shows how many, or
0: under- how many of the um, how many of the insurrectionists uh, were <laughs> yeah they were
1: arrested because they were bragging <laughs> yeah. on facebook and, and yeah yeah. And, and, and yeah, just like
0: <laughs> and family members were turning them in yeah which is even funnier uh, I would like to see a, I'm sure a creative group could could do something. It wouldn't be a oh, direct sure. um Yeah. But I also May. find yeah. this yeah, more more creative than me, that's for sure. Yeah. One of the things I like about this movie is, is kind of it's visionary because this is 1964. Then um in 68 you get Rosemary's Baby, which is something of a um conspiracy feel to it. Yeah. Um. Not trusting. The, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Can't trust the old people. You know. Yeah. This yeah. yeah. But, but pretty soon you have an actual conspiracy in in um Watergate. Then you get Capricorn One. Yeah. You get all the President's Men. Yes. You get um what's the um the other seventies uh conspiracy movie that, Executive um, Decision or something like you get that the, or, or, exec- or Executive or Action Executive Action and. This movie, Seven Days of May, did come out after Kennedy was assassinated, but it was filmed prior to. Yes. Um, so, when they're making the movie, you don't even have that incidence. Yeah. To kind of get the ball rolling, so it, I I think it, there's a there's a lot of vision in this in this movie. I like it. Great. I'll watch it again in a in a few years. I I tend to go back to it. I've probably seen it from start to finish. But, you know. Maybe four or five times. Bye. Yeah. No. We- yeah, and
1: g- g- a really strong movie. Um, just uh, in my opinion, just it it holds up over time. Really strong performances, um, uh, and exciting, interesting, engaging. Um, uh, and, you know, it's a Frankenheimer movie, so it's as a general matter. You know, you're gonna you're gonna you know,
0: it's going to be well done, but it really does. It holds up, I think. Um, we're almost at the hour and a half mark. Oh, yeah. you, you've been reading or watching anything?
1: Yeah, actually, um, my my daughters um, suggested I watch a movie last night that um, I had never heard of and um, I probably never have found it on my own. And I really liked it a lot. It is a Scandinavian film um which was a, adapted from a 1956 swedish poem <laughs> of all things um when i tell you what the movie is ab- about it's why it will be surprising but it's it's a movie and that poem is about the future when the earth is um falling apart and no real reasons are particularly given, I think, in the in the film. And it's all in Swedish, I think. Um, uh, and people are being ferried to Mars to live on Mars. Uh, and the way they get ferried to Mars is they take these big, huge cruise ships that fly from one planet to the other that takes about three or four weeks uh, of time. And... Um, in this ill-fated flight, uh, they have to avoid some debris in space and maneuver and away, uh, at, but their engines get damaged and they have to eject all of their nuclear um, fuel rods. And so they're pointing the completely wrong direction and headed to, you know, out of the solar system. Um, And the movie kind of tracks what happens centered around, you know, a set of core characters, of course, Um, but kind of what happens to them over the course of ultimately years. Right. So you have, you know, kind of the initial set of time and then you, you know, spring forward four weeks, then you spring forward, you know, a year and then you go forward to year five and then you go forward to year 10 and then year 24. Right. I mean, so you you kind of. Check in essentially um, with them over time um, well
0: wow, you're not you're not hooking me <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's really it's really interesting you it, lost me a,
0: you lost me a Swedish poem <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: is this a new is this a newer movie? yeah, it's two thousand eighteen I think okay. or 19, something right. like that what's but the name it, of this sucker It's called Aniara and um i have to say i highly recommend it they did a really nice job of of um kind of showing the um it it, it's not the kind of you know degradation in society that i think you know you know you would you would expect to see in in a movie you know people killing each other and you know factions and all this crazy stuff like the captain stays in control of the ship right the, the whole time and um but you know weird things happen over time you know weird strange cults start to form right um and it's uh it's 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 actually really good if, if you are a fan of dystopian future fiction uh in any form um i i, I recommend it. it it to me it it follows the footsteps of, of some of those great '70s dystopian future movies like Logan's Run and The Andromeda Strain and um, Soylent Green, um, even Omega Man, at a certain level. Um, uh, in terms of its of its vision about um, what it is to be, you know, human and in, in a society, um, really very well done in in a lot of ways. Really enjoyed it quite a bit, and despite um, what may sound like a uh, kind of a strange sort of setup being based on a Swedish poem from 1956, um, it really is quite good, and and I would I would
0: recommend it. Okay, we got your recommendation. How oh, about you? So, yeah, you know, I've been watching some stuff, but I've been reading some things, but not nothing. I'm not like in the middle of anything like a novel or anything right now what i did do was take down um uh, fire and blood blood and fire it's it's the uh george r r martin book that the game of thrones prequel is based on
1: the game of thrones prequel
0: the game of thrones prequel that's coming out next year or this year i think
1: oh i didn't know there was a prequel coming yeah,
0: out yeah it takes place it's the uh, Essentially, the Targaryen soap opera ah, okay. of how they immigrated, how they took over, how they fell—that type of thing. Ah, okay. um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, it's, you know, calling it like the it's to Game of Thrones what the Silmarillion is to the Lord of the Rings is is overly simplistic. It's not really. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's it's almost written like a history book about the targaryens and since i like the world of game of thrones i had taken it uh, my sister lent it to me so i took it down you know i kind of leaf through it read a chapter it's good um if you like game of thrones you probably like that if you like the the novels and things like that you probably like this but i'm not i'm not reading it from it's long It it's it's a couple inches thick. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a paperback. You know, it's not a quick paperback. It's, it's an investment of time. And the other thing, like, like history, and particularly the War of the Roses type of thing, they start repeating names. Mm. And I like to think I'm pretty good at this, but I do get lost among the characters and the secession. And at a certain point in time, it's just like there's a line or two of contenders to the throne and some of them have the same name and you know someone was a half brother or this person half sister of that person and you really need to chart it out if you really want to follow it Uh, but there's some good background information if you like game of thrones and i do like game of thrones i thought it was a very good very good hbo series so now did you read the books uh, I read like the first two. The first book follows the 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 first season of the show. Really follows the first book. Yes, almost to the point where I was like flipping through, like, wow, they really followed it. Got into the second, put it down. I haven't gone back to it yet. I'll probably get around to it. So, yeah. Yeah. but that's I'm not. I'm kind of in between. In between focusing on a novel, I just there's, yeah. I'm just looking for something that really. Kind of catch my interest, so I and, and make the investment of kind of time. And I've been watching some stuff I'll probably talk about next time. But that's that's basically what I've been doing.
1: You know, it's interesting. The um, you know, what I, so I read all the Game of Thrones books and, and watched the HBO series. Um, what you describe that you're reading now strikes me as something that I wouldn't read. And what I would do instead is go back and read a book about um, William the Conqueror and his family. If because... you
0: like, if you like the, sorry to interrupt, but if, yeah, no, if no, you, no, I get if it. You if you like if... the appendices in the Lord of the Rings, you would like this. If you don't. Right. You <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That's what, I'm, that's what
1: I'm getting at is that yeah. it, 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 it,
0: one of the great things
1: about the Lord of the Rings, and I would argue about, um, um, uh the the um game of thrones books is that the history is there and it's touched on in those books and in the lives of all the people that you follow but it's not a history right it's not a history lesson it's it's uh okay. it's a novel and if and if i'm interested in what happens um in that sort of a context then I'd just rather go back and read about the War of the Roses because it's really
0: friggin' interesting
1: actually well, in the same way that all that stuff is. Dale um
0: I believe to me, I identify it as history and you should respect that. So it is history. <laughs> you don't know it's not you don't know it's not history proven you're right i wasn't there (laughs) (laughs) you're reading all that
1: fake history true i am
0: william the conqueror right (laughs) uh yes it is my Uh, (laughs) failing. all right man um anything else to add
1: uh go watch aniara you'll like it
0: i tell people go watch seven days of may yeah yeah that too absolutely All right, man. Talk to you later. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye.